0: men should approach the allyship role from a place of partnership, not that white knighting or looking to rescue women. This isn't about saving the damsel in distress. This is about creating true gender partnerships. And then I also say, ask yourself, what am I doing when no one is watching? And what am I doing to lift women up when they're not in the room?
1: Hi, and welcome back
2: to the new rules of business by Chief. I'm Carolyn Childers. And I'm Lindsay Kaplan. And we are the co-founders of Chief, the most powerful community of senior executive women.
1: On this podcast, we challenge preconceived notions of leadership and how underrepresented communities, particularly women and women of color, are specifically impacted.
2: But in this week's episode, we're talking about male allyship. Men currently make up more than 70% of executive leadership positions in corporate America, which means they have to play an integral role in making workplaces more equitable for everyone.
1: That's right. Men need to be active participants in creating work environments that respect, promote, and pay women fairly. And while many men express their support for gender equality, it can be challenging for some to recognize the discrimination and bias women face.
2: Yeah. So one study found that nearly 80% of men said they did not see harassment as a problem in their workplace, but nearly 40% of women reported being harassed. So how can male allies
1: join us in the fight against all forms of gender bias at work?
2: That's the question I threw to Dr. Bill Kaffer. He has led J.P. Morgan Chase's Men as Allies program and can speak to the intricacies of taking action as a male ally at work. All right, let's hear it. Well, I'm thrilled to be sitting down with Dr. William Kapfer. He is the head of global supplier diversity at JPMorgan Chase, and he currently serves on the boards of several diverse business advocacy organizations, including the National Minority Supplier Development Council, the Women's Business Enterprise National Council, the Billion Dollar Roundtable, and We Connect International. Thank you for joining us today.
0: Thank you for having me. This is exciting.
2: Yeah, we're happy you're here. And I read you've been at J.P. Morgan for over nine years. And during your time there, we know you've been a strong proponent of male allyship. So we'd love to hear your background and what inspired you to commit to this kind of work.
0: I think that gender equality has really been a through line in my life. If there was a moment that really truly marked the beginning of my allyship journey, it would be in the late 90s at a film studio uh, that I worked for. And I, I specifically remember it was during a brainstorming session, and the gal's name was Kara. That really was her name. And if she's listening, hi, Kara. And she was a new publicist and really a rock star, super smart. And she proposed this really brilliant sort of strategy for an Oscars campaign. But when she was done, this guy, his name was Bob. I won't use his real name. But Bob, he was like this old-time veteran uh, in the industry. And he suggested very loudly and clearly, hey, Kara, you should consult with the seasoned guys next time. His gender-biased undertone was so obvious. We all felt it. And We met downstairs at a restaurant and I I commended Kara for her idea. She shared stories of really the subtle gender biases women frequently encountered in our entertainment field. And that conversation, I believe, was really an awakening moment for me. From then on, I committed to actively challenging such biases and supporting my female colleagues based on their merits, right? Not their gender. And I began my personal allyship journey.
2: Well, I deeply relate to that story as somebody that has felt like a Kara many times. And I can recall so many stories, especially earlier on in my career, when I was a little newer to those meetings and feeling like as a younger woman, I needed to sit down and wait my turn and watching younger guys be treated like, ah, he's a young whippersnapper. So there's that intersection of ageism that also overlaps a lot of that gender bias. So how would you describe male allyship and what does it look like in practice?
0: For me, it's really, what can we do to advocate on behalf of women? I see the allyship as kind of a two-sided coin. There's that part where we do all the interpersonal stuff, right? We show up the right way with women in the workplace. We provide them with verbal support. However, that other side of the coin that I think of, Above and beyond the interpersonal stuff, that is the big category of really public systematic. What I can do that requires me to put some more skin in the game publicly and be more of a significant ally.
2: Talk to me about an example of what it looks like in practice. So there is the concept of feeling like I'm a great guy at work. Yes, I support women. What does that look like day to day? What are some concrete examples of really being and embodying an ally?
0: So embodying an ally is showing up in meetings and allowing women to share their stories, share their comments that are often talked over by other colleagues. It is speaking up on behalf of women who have just shared an idea that was usurped, if you will, are taken by a male colleague in the room, literally repackaged and shared and seen as the next best thing. I refer to this phenomena as he And it's really our responsibility as men in the room to call those sorts of situations out to say, and I'll use this as an example, after David has usurped it, taken it as his own, and, and the team is cheering, I say, thanks, Dave. That's great. Now, Kara, can you come back to what your original idea is when you originally pitched this a few minutes ago? What were you thinking? So it's really our opportunity to take a proactive stance and call out what it is in the room and support women and sometimes just drop the mic and listen.
2: I read this great article in HBR that shows there's a disconnect between men who think they're great allies and their women colleagues who deeply disagree with that statement. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that gap between men who think that they're great and women who don't believe they're getting that allyship exists?
0: What I think is that men show up in a way that brings in their own sort of ideas around what supporting women is like. and Maybe this is based on some of the their own scripts that they have around the mother, son, or wife partner, husband, or father-daughter sort of script, they come in thinking that they are actually supporting women because they show up, because they're being nice to them, and they're not really showing up in a way that offends women. So somehow they think that's seen as being an ally, but it's not really doing anything.
2: Yeah, it's the, I didn't make a sexist comment, so I've got to be a great ally. Mm-hmm. So I'd love to hear about J.P. Morgan Chase's Men as Allies program. When was it launched? And more importantly, how does this program support women at work?
0: Yeah, the JPMorgan Chase Men as Allies initiatives is really an offshoot of our Women on the Move program. I'll start by saying the Women on the Move program began in 2013. It was spearheaded by A handful of senior female leaders like Mary Ann Lake and Mary Erdos, both of whom sit on the company's operating committee, the roots were built from a desire to create and to host a global listening tour. The global listening tour was aiming to pinpoint and address barriers hindering women's advancement at JPMorgan Chase. And that's where the concept of Women on the Move came from. And to me, it connotes a journey. And as we always say, allyship is a journey, not a destination. The initiative evolved into a formal DEI, Center of Excellence, later expanding in 2018 to go beyond just women in the firm, but encompasses now female clients, female customers, and community leaders this mission paved the way for the Men of Allies program. And specifically, the Men of Allies program aims to equip men with the resources to understand and embody allyship. It offers educational programming that addresses and counteracts biases. It implements strategies that enable men to be effective partners to their female counterparts. And then it helps utilize men's influence to amplify the voices and perspectives of women within the firm.
2: What advice do you have for people who are interested in implementing a program similar to men as allies in their own organizations, but say maybe you're really limited on resources?
0: Well, I guess I would say that understanding that allyship, and you mentioned it earlier, and I think it's a common thread pulled through the fabric of our conversation, is allyship is a journey, not a destination. And I would say that start by leading by example. I would say actively engage in allyship behaviors, attend women's events, join internal ERG groups, The most importantly, though, I would say, and I've read studies that underscore this, is women just want you to listen. And instead of trying to rescue women and, you know, the knight in shining armor, hear their concerns and understand their perspectives.
2: I think a lot of men are afraid of being performative. And so I love that advice, that first first step is just listening to women. What are those steps that men can take to be proactive outside of listening? Like listening is step number one. Step number two, how can men step up in a way that they don't come off as performative? And I think that phrase is often used in a scary way that stops people from acting out, whether it's speaking out around you know, women in the workplace or other issues, we all have this weird fear of being called performative.
0: Mm -hmm. And I'd say the first step in becoming sincere around this work, and there is a sincerity and an investment in this work, is not simply uh, talking the talk or exhibiting just uh, enough nice behavior to avoid appearing sexist or to impress your female colleagues, is to identify your why identify what your personal connection is to this work. What's motivating you to do this work? And let me just underscore that it'll be different for everyone. It's not the same, same for everyone. Second, I would say that having a personal connection is key. It can be a family member, a mentor, a mentee, someone who really matters to you that you really care about their livelihood, their career. And when they share something with you that they're, they're going through, you're able to share in that injustice and understand what she's feeling and share and wanting to, to make a change. I'd also say that men should approach the allyship role from a place of partnership, not, as I mentioned earlier, that white knighting or looking to rescue women. This isn't about saving the damsel in distress. This is about creating true gender partnerships. And then I also say, ask yourself, what am I doing when no one is watching? And what am I doing to lift women up when they're not in the room?
2: Ah, oh, I love that. I love that. That is the key to not being performative, right? It is, it is walking the walk all the time. And it is doing so when no one's looking. You're in financial services, which I've never worked in finance but I imagine it is more male-dominated than my role, which is co-founder of a women's professional network. And I can imagine that there are some, uh, call it old school professionals who maybe didn't come up in a time where there was much of a light being shown on women and equity in the workplace. Have you been challenged? Have you felt sometimes that you needed to really stand up against others in the room and feel like there was that tension that you needed to overcome?
0: You know, I have had experiences where I had to argue my case, if you will, where I felt that someone that I was putting up for promotion, for an opportunity, wasn't other men in the room's first choice. And at that point, I did step back. I did share the facts. I argued my my case for my candidate, which was a woman candidate based on qualifications, not on anything but qualifications. And that individual was voted into the opportunity that I was looking for.
2: I think... Being able to spit facts seems like it's always a winning strategy when you're dealing with DEI in the workplace. So we're talking about old school mentality. How do you shut down when you hear just blatant sexism, bias, stereotypes that don't occur, luckily in my workplace at Chief, but happen all the time at other companies? And I assume people aren't speaking like that in front of you, they know better, but you must encounter it sometimes.
0: So I think probably the number one tool, as I call it out, I call it out for what it is. And sometimes it's as simple as repeating exactly what someone said in front of the folks they said it in front of, which will often disarm them. I'm fortunate though, I haven't heard a lot of that. And perhaps that's because of the great training JP Morgan Chase has for all of its employees. Yeah. So those sorts of scenarios and sexist remarks and biased language and harassment, they're just not showing up in the space where I'm working. But I think a lot of it has been addressed. And we are talking about it because we're encouraging open dialogue. And gender equality education is very prevalent at my organization. And we understand that at the end of the day, that sort of education helps to foster a more conscious and respectful workplace atmosphere.
2: Yeah, I I think education is key. I read a study that said 80% of men say that they don't see harassment as a problem in their workplace, but nearly 40% of women report being harassed. And so that education gap feels like it's missing in other corporate settings, right? That some people probably aren't even aware that they are, you know, sitting in a state of mild discrimination or this kind of like undercurrent of harassment. You know, I mentioned earlier when you came on, you were telling that story about Cara. And I related to it so deeply because I've been there. I've been that woman. And I mentioned that age feels like this intersection with gender. And I'm a white woman, but I know that there is the intersectionality question when it comes to psychological safety at work and the role allyship can play with women of color. Can you speak to your experience with why it matters so deeply for men to exercise their allyship for women of color specifically?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I believe that, first of all, men need to recognize that women of color often face a steeper climb in the workplace compared to their white female peers. And as you mentioned, the research supports this from the Harvard Business Review to McKinsey. I do believe that men can be extremely effective allies to women of color in a few different ways. One, by recognizing the compound challenges these women face. I think that's table stakes. By actively listening to their unique experiences and asking them if you have their permission to ask you about their unique experiences. By seeking, again, education on intersectional biases. And then lastly, I would say by advocating for their representation and advancement in professional settings.
2: All right, with that, we're going to close it out with our two closers. We always ask every guest. The first is, if you could write a new rule of business to promote male allyship at work, What would it be?
0: Okay. I think it would be a compound rule. One, institute mandatory inclusive leadership training for all male managers and executives. Additionally, and part of that would be perform regular allyship audits, right? Allyship audits to gauge Actions supporting female colleagues. This shouldn't be a test, but really a reflective exercise to ensure ongoing commitment.
2: Love that. I want to add I think everybody, men, women, everybody in the workplace should go through inclusivity training because it is eye opening and it shouldn't be a one time routine. This should be quarterly. We should mix up the topics. To quote you earlier, it is a journey. Right?
0: Yes, ma'am.
2: All right. And then finally, what is the best or the worst piece of leadership advice you've ever received?
0: Probably the worst piece of leadership advice I received was just ignore it. Mm. And if I had to have the best leadership advice, is getting involved, raising your hand, and stirring it up is. Your responsibility, and it's the part of the rent that you pay for your privilege to live on this earth.
2: Bill, that's a really, really good piece of leadership advice. I'm going to steal it. (laughs)
0: It's all yours. I've altered it to fit certain situations, but at the end of the day, there is a rent that we pay, and it can take many forms. But in particular, this work that we do, because it comes from the heart. And it comes from we who have walked in those shoes and who have been part of those conversations and who have been in those meetings. It's our responsibility.
2: I love that. Let's use our privilege to speak and advocate for others. And to quote you, stir things up. I love it. Bill, thank you so much for joining us. This was such a great conversation, really eye-opening. And I know that our listeners are going to love hearing from you about this topic.
0: Wow. Well, thank you very much.
1: That was Bill Katfer, JP
2: Morgan Chase's head of global supplier diversity. And he had so many incredible lines and turns of phrases. And one that really stuck with me is that allyship is a journey, not a destination. So we all need to continue showing up, deeply listening, and interrupting bias as it happens. Right. Like when someone
1: tries to take credit for an idea a woman shared just five minutes ago in a meeting. Bill calls that he peeding. Well, you're kind of she-interrupting me right now. <laughs> but when someone repeats a woman's idea, a male ally can redirect the attention to the original person who contributed to
2: the conversation. I actually think what I love the most is when he said the true test of male allyship is what happens in the room when there is no woman at all.
1: It's when they most need to
2: advocate and sponsor women. Yes. And not just do it when women are present. Because when in doubt, I also love this. Do as Bill says, stir things up. That's right. That's all for this episode. So
1: get out there and stir things up.
2: Carolyn, that doesn't mean stir up a cocktail.
1: <laughs> I'm just wine. There's no stirring with wine. <laughs>
2: Don't miss out on all of our Chief content. You can get more podcast episodes by following the new rules of business on your favorite podcast app. And if you want to learn more about Chief, just head to our website, chief.com.
1: Chief is the most powerful community for senior executive women designed to create meaningful connections with fellow executive leaders that'll unlock transformative outcomes for your career. Thanks to Sharon Yee, Courtney Conley, Mercy Harper, and Mesa Melton at Chief, and to our entire production team, Pod People. Our music is by Colin Hatch. I'm Carolyn Childers.
2: And I'm Lindsay Kaplan. Thanks again for listening.